Episode 25, my name's Matt Hoss, and today is a very monumental episode for many reasons. Firstly, this is going to be the last ever episode uh, known as the Drunken Comedian Podcast, and also the first episode of uh, of a new titled podcast. Uh, we're we're kind of going under a little bit of rebranding, and I'll talk to you more about why at the end of this podcast, but this... This podcast, it's uh, it's still going to follow the same regime as uh, Drunken Comedian Podcast, but it's now known as Matt Hoss Talks to People He Likes. And I feel uh, that um, it's a bit more of a authentic title. Uh, but again, I'll talk to you all, all the reasons why. But today today's episode is the first one in, in step in that direction. Um, to celebrate this, we have a very special and incredible episode I've been waiting uh, on since August. Uh, this is the final one I recorded at the Ember Fringe in 2018, and it's it's a doozy. Uh, it is with the amazing Alice Fraser. And if you don't know who Alice Fraser is, uh, before listening to this podcast, I would highly recommend listening to her um, trilogy. Uh, and what she has is that uh, she created three shows back uh, uh, in the last several years at Ember Fringes and different uh, fringe festivals around the world. And uh, they are three monumental shows. Uh, the first one's called Savage, the second one's called The Resistance, and the third one is called Empire. And all three of them are available as a podcast uh, uh, through iTunes and uh uh, and and every other place as well, and I would, it's free, stellar and amazing shows, and I wish I, uh, I I would implore you to listen to it. You don't have to, but I would, I would recommend that you do it before listening to this as well, because Alice gives a lot of talk about this trilogy. Um, she had just recorded it at, at the Melbourne Comedy Festival before Ember Fringe, and I actually hadn't listened to. Uh, the trilogy at that point, but I know I had known quite a lot about it, and the trilogy really pushes boundaries uh, in terms of what's comedy, what's not comedy, and uh, Alice is such a tenacious and quite a mesmerising comedian because she really um, these shows are utterly jaw dropping. She really gives such. Th- this is one of my favourite interviews I've ever done, uh, and no disruptive other comedians, but I I, I was really so enamoured by what Alice had to say, her crafting, the reasons and the parameters she set for these shows, and also how she overcame the obstacles in the way. Uh, and on top of that, uh, just listening to Alice, uh, she's a delightful guest, uh, but on top of that, uh, as a comedian, I'm very much inspired to get to that level as well. In fact, I took notes whilst editing, because she says some really good bits uh, about building uh, a bigger and better show. So we talk about a whole range of things uh, and talk about uh, the trilogy, mostly for most of the episode, but also talk about bumping into, bumping into celebrities, uh, humour as a coping mechanism, uh, comedy being a trick, and on top of that we talk about uh, her, other, uh, her other podcast, Tea with Alice, and uh, we also talk about her motto, to live by as well. And it's honestly, it's a very deep episode and something I really am super proud of. Uh, just a little quicker uh, editor's note. Um, well, <laughs> I sound really weird in this episode. Uh, I think this, like, midway through the fringe was quite early in the morning where we are at a bar and there's a couple of clinking noises in the middle section and I sound dead weird. And I get, I think I'm on, like, the verge of an emotional breakdown because I get quite uh, caught up in what Alice is saying. So, uh, yeah, so do bear that in mind. But I think... I am not going to hold this for you any longer. I'm going to let you enjoy with its full might. Episode 25 of Drunken Comedian Podcast slash Matt Hoss Talks to People You Like. Enjoy. I hope you're ready for our podcast today, and I hope you're ready for what we're about to say. And you see them come play on a bus or a train, because we're going to go straight inside your brain. Get ready for the podcast. Yeah. Hope you're ready for the podcast. I bet you're ready for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you're probably ready. 
enjoy the podcast. How's your day been so far? So far, good. I woke up and did some BBC interviews. Uh, oh, well, I went to the BBC to do some interviews for the ABC, which is the Australian... Oh, brilliant. Uh, it's like the BBC, but it's funded by the government, which means it has a lot less money than the BBC and mm-hmm. therefore a lot less influence than the BBC, which is funded by television licences. Anyway, launching the Trilogy podcast in Australia and yes. uh, was doing some publicity for that, so I woke up way too early. <laughs> uh, how early is way too early? Well, I mean, if your fringe clock, you're getting yeah, to bed at yeah. like 2 or 3 in the morning. Yeah. Even if you're not socialising, yeah, you're exactly. getting to bed at 2 or 3 in the morning. So, uh, 6 a.m. was when I woke wow. up. Yeah. That's like, for comedian clock, that, that, that's like, like that's going to be like a, like midnight if, if you're a normal person. Yeah, you know I mean? it's that's... like waking up at 3 a.m. to catch an early flight. That's oh, the, just yeah. the like, oh, Why? <laughs> Why? I, w- I should have paid that extra $300 to not have to wake up this early. I've, um, I, I travel up and down the country quite a lot, so I have to get kind of like midnight buses from uh, North Yorkshire all the way down to London, and it's, it's grim because you, uh, you, you have to sleep on the, uh, the National Express, and, like, it just, it's, and, you wake, and your whole, the whole of the next day you just kind of feel like disgusting. And, yeah, uh, you feel like you've got an extra film on your skin yes, and you want to take yeah. off a few layers. <laughs> I genuinely had that choice because I did the Yorkshire Fringe mm. two, two days before Edinburgh. Oh, yeah. So on the Saturday, uh, and I came to Edinburgh on the Monday, and I thought I could catch the midnight bus back, but it was just before Edinburgh. So mm. I like I, sh- I thought, I'm going to... Uh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah. going to fuck off my profits from this <laughs> show and just get a nice hotel and treat yeah. it as like a pre-Edinburgh, yeah. nice, relaxing... Uh, thing and then I caught the train back in the morning because I just was not up for a night. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's probably the wise decision. Uh, but um, I, I, but I also kind of like the the ethos of just kind of just you know just slumming it on the National Express. There's a certain courtship to it. If you know. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it is better to start stand-up when you're young. I mean, you can start stand-up at any age. It's one of those great democratic things where as long as you have jokes to tell, you're fine. Yeah. But if you don't... If you you start later in life, you have some dignity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that you have to do in the early days of stand-up that is very undignified. I used to run a couple of mic nights uh, back in Canterbury, uh, and uh, I... uh, Obviously, you would have the whole range of people, and there's people who started stand up in uh, their forties, and it's like it's. I felt I felt a little bit like uh, I don't know what the right word is, but I felt a bit like uh, I used to run it in this really kind of grotty pub, and I feel bad for them because like they they're kind of like not used to, like for me this is normal to me that gaping from eight people to in this horrible back room, but they're like, what are, what are you doing with your life? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, and I mean, even just being a woman makes that a little harder. Certainly, so yeah. I remember doing a gig out in rural, rural Australia. Mm-hmm. I won't even name the state because there are few enough gigs that the people <laughs> might remember. But um, it was early days, and I showed up at this gig. We drove for like four or five hours to get there, mm-hmm. uh, and... We arrived and they showed us to the place where the comedians were meant to be sleeping and it was a shared room. Okay. So it was three male comedians and me. And I was, I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe 24. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to share a room with three men I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And it was just that thing of, they didn't, they just never had that problem. And yeah. you just go, oh, you just haven't had enough female comedians. Yeah, like that... Because in their head, it's like, yeah, it's just like a sleeper. It's just where the comedians go. And yeah. so I ended up sleeping in a in a car that night because oh, I was like, yeah. you know, I just am not going to do that. But it's nice, like, from early on, you were like, you were like no, I can't. Because I see so many comedians who, uh, like, I, I don't know, would, uh, would kind of be, kind of, yeah, that's fine. And even though if they weren't comfortable with it, they'll just say it's okay, you know what I mean? And I'm glad that you have that kind of you were adamant to kind of stomp that out and maybe that, that, that did influence people in the future as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm very non-confrontational. I do not like fights, but I also have um, quite clear lines. Yes, yeah. And I will walk away from a situation I'm not comfortable with. Okay, well, yeah, I think I need to take a leave out of that book, but then again, I probably have enough privilege to get me by anyway. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so how was your time at the Yorkshire Fringe as well? 
It was lovely. I saw Michael Palin. Oh, lovely. And How's that? slightly embarrassed myself because I was backstage. I was re-recording some of the cues for Ethos, which yes. is my double act with a robot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so his dressing room was the only place that was soundproof because yeah. the New Yorkshire Fringe is intense, basically, mm-hmm. down the middle of uh, one of their walkways. Yeah, Parliament Street. Yeah, Parliament, Parliament Street. Yeah. It's sort of an open uh, mall, I guess, and yeah. they put these tents in and... So there was a container, which was the only soundproof area that I could go to record these last-minute cues. And then I walked out, and his show had just bumped out. So I walked through the venue, and he was sitting there. And I had that moment of like, oh, I know you, wave. Yeah. Oh, you don't know me. <laughs> just that moment of, I thought I knew you. And then I tried to, I tried to explain it, mm-hmm. which was humiliating. <laughs> I was like, I thought I knew you, but I know, of course I know you, but you don't know me it was just one of those I'm sorry and he was like when's your show and I was like it's in like 20 minutes and he's like oh I've got to go to another thing and I said okay bye <laughs> you're I, my hero <laughs> I, I think we're kindred spirits oh. <laughs> that was, uh, that was, uh, yeah I've, I, I, I think I did that every single day in Edinburgh I was like oh my god a famous person hi oh wait you have no idea who I am yeah but. well it's in that slightly dazed pre-show state where yes. you're kind of focused on your own stuff yeah. and so I just thought you know it's the fringe I know people Mm-hmm. There's a face I recognise. Oh no, this is the face of one of the people I admire most in the world who has no idea who I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess it's... I always find it kind of weird because my heroes are comedians, uh, and but also uh, when I first started out, I really admired and looked up to a lot of people. But as, as soon as you kind of get your career going, you, you slightly come across at the, uh, the same level. So you're supposed to be meeting each other professionally. So if you're... It's weird that your heroes are your, also your colleagues as well. So when you do wave at someone, it's because you assume they're your colleague, but you actually realise, oh, wait. Uh, well, mostly I don't get starstruck. Yeah. Because there's, you get to a certain point where you realise that people are just people mm-hmm. and it's better to treat people as people. Certainly, yeah. But, I mean, Monty Python I grew up with, and yes. he was one of the of those boys who ended up turning, you know, he, he went from Monty Python into being this kind of David Attenborough mm-hmm. explorer, like just all of it, just right up my alley in terms of what I really admire and like. Yeah. Um, but I've also humiliatingly bumped into Umberto Eco uh-huh. and Stephen Fry. And when I say bumped into, I mean literally both of them <laughs> and both in the same circumstance where I was running late to a a gig of theirs yeah and because I you know came in the back because I was a performer yeah I just bolting to the gig and I bumped into Umberto Eco and I bumped into Stephen Fry and uh, Umberto Eco said don't worry it won't start until I begin (laughs) it won't start until I get there and Stephen Fry was just very nice about it so oh wow um, oh that 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 is such a delightful and jovial story I love that you also mentioned uh, the trilogy, your, uh, your, your free shows prior, and uh, that's coming out as a podcast. Um, when, yes. did you, when did you make the decision to make uh, your free stand-up shows into a podcast? Well, I... Uh, so, the ABC podcasting arm is a relatively new part of the ABC okay, yeah. uh, comedy offering, yeah. and uh, the guy who runs it is the previous editor of a producer of the bugle oh, so yes, tom yeah. wright who was the original yeah. bugle producer and uh he came along scouting and he saw the resistance which was the middle show yeah. of the three at the melbourne comedy festival just after he'd begun yeah and that was kind of how i got into the bugle mm-hmm. um, because when andy came and said who should i have on uh-huh. uh, he suggested me so that was really nice. I'd also had Helen Zaltzman on my podcast before, so there was a previous connection. Uh, and then when they said they were going to do start doing comedy shows, um, I put up Troll Play, and then I mentioned the trilogy. Mm-hmm. I said I'd like to do the trilogy as the arc that it is. I wrote mm-hmm. it as an arc. Yeah. I mean, I didn't didn't realize that when I wrote Savage, but by the time I wrote The Resistance, it was a sequel. I'd, it was yeah. definitely. I wrote it as an answer to some of the questions that Savage raised for me. Yeah. I might have projected them into the minds of the audience. The first one was, is this comedy? Mm-hmm. Because it's about such tragic things. The second question, and I don't think anyone said this, but I certainly felt it, was because it's a very moving show, mm-hmm. but it's also about a very personal and relatable thing, which is everybody has... A mother figure, or most people, the mm-hmm. vast majority of people have either a mother or a, a maternal figure in their life, and that, you know, that aging and, and and illness and death and all of that is very relatable. Yes. So I thought, 
I want people to know <laughs> that I'm a good writer, mm-hmm. that I can write a comedy show that is emotionally affecting, that mm-hmm. is both very clearly comedy and also will make people feel mm-hmm. that isn't about my mum. Yes, yeah. You know, because anyone can make you cry about your mum. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, all that, that was in my head at the yeah, time. So yeah. the resistance is about my grandmother and this house that she built around her. She had a, a house with a number of different flats and apartments in it and she would leave, uh, she had all these very strange people who she would let live there for yeah. nominal rent and they were all maniacs yeah. um, and I mean that in a genuine way they all had various mental illnesses and they all had various sort of damage and they were so much fun yeah. and so lovely to grow up with I was a kid I didn't realize they were mental but uh, I didn't realize till later that they had these intense stories mm. of their own mm-hmm. so that is not a relatable experience uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I think obviously it's a very unique uh, story. Uh, however, within that, I think that it's already just from this conversation, it's so personal. Like this, uh, it's it's experience which is isolated. However, I uh, <clears throat> I think people can relate to uh, the empathise with that situation and uh, and just like the fact that you had all these beautiful and brilliant people around you I think that's such a heartwarming thing to hear you know yes uh, yeah I think uh, and just the way you're telling it that is so like I'm already hooked you know like uh, usually I'm way more talkative on this podcast but (laughs) I I could listen to this all this is fascinating well thank you so then yeah then I wrote The Resistance which is that story and and that and seeing if I could make people uh, invest in that and feel Mm -hmm. for those people and feel for that situation Mm -hmm. And again, that the question in that is, what's the difference between comedy and tragedy? And, mm-hmm. and it's the way you tell a story. So, yes, yeah. So in Savage, the question is, can you write comedy about things that are genuinely, truly sad yeah. without making light of them? Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, without yeah, trivializing so, them. So you're not kind of... Um, you're not kind of uh, getting this like sad bit of comedy and then going ta-da at the end it's yeah. more like this is something that really is horrible uh, but here's some uh, here's thing. something funny and also without I mean black humour is an incredible coping mechanism but yeah. without making it just be like ha 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 we all shit ourselves in the end yeah, yeah, yeah. like without making light of how awful those things are yeah. still making it funny enough that people are laughing throughout and engaged throughout yes yeah. and then the resistance the question is or the, the proposition is that the difference between comedy and tragedy is where you begin and end a story, which, snapshot, which yeah. snapshot you take, because every story really ends in tragedy. Like, if you tell any story long enough, it becomes tragic. And, yeah. and, and then the third show is about... Um, so the, the, the frame is a quantum physics frame. Yeah. But it's, that sound, that's overstating what it is. It's just the idea that looking back mm-hmm. changes the reality of a situation. Yeah. So someone who you thought was a hero, mm-hmm. you can look back and realize that they were a villain or vice versa. Someone who you thought was a villain, someone who you thought was really hard and awful, mm-hmm. looking back, um, you realize that they were really noble. And it's, it's the best thing about that, it works on the personal level, like you could work it with... You know, with uh, like uh, friends and family, but also you can push it to that extra level of it making about satire, about people who are good and bad, and like it's uh, it's these, and it's very uh, very. I don't want to say topical, but it's relevant at the moment. Isn't that I mean, I it's, think uh, it, it very much is, and so that wrapped up the trilogy for me in, and that sort of about my father and about how he is not an easy man. Mm-hmm. But he looked after us, and he looked after Mum, and he always stuck by his principles. Yeah. And there were a number of people, and even people who were very close to us, mm-hmm. who didn't like him mm-hmm. because he was harsh yeah. or because he was uncompromising. And the injustice of that, the injustice of telling a story where fun is, and this I think is one uh, sort of relevant to the comedy tragedy divide where. Where you think someone is good because they're fun, yes. Or yeah. you think something is good because it's easy, mm-hmm. and in fact, you know, fun is just fun. There is, mm-hmm. there is maybe a moral element to it, but there are more important things. Yes, yeah. That there are more important things than having a nice life, yeah, and having having a pleasant time and 
enjoying yourself and even even you know in making the people around you comfortable which mm-hmm. is my um, personal sort of urge all the yes. time it's yeah. not always the best one it's not always the right thing to do yes and that the right thing to do can make you look like a bad person but is in fact yeah so that's the, that and then that, that that also sort of wrapped up all of the lines of or the one the personal the most personal journey that runs through the trilogy which is m- me and my relationship to confrontation yes so. That is, oh my god, that is so, um, that is so endearing, and uh, and uh, there's uh, we've only been recording about fifteen minutes, but by god, that's uh, that's the most fascinating thing I've heard in this podcast. So, uh, oh wow, thank you. Uh, uh, and not no discredit to the guest, but like, uh, <laughs> uh, but I just I think that's um, uh, that's a truly a worthwhile thing to throw yourself into comedy, and it's. Um, and the fact that you're able to kind of discuss these things uh, and with such a articulate thought piercing every single one as well like as like uh, with, with other shows it's just kind of like oh I went to a holiday with my mate Steve and it's like, like yeah that's a great I'm sure that, that that's good and uh, a lot of people do relate to that stuff but I think having that comedy where you're actually taking a scalpel and really dissecting things that truly matter to you I think that's that's where that's what the kind of that's what makes stand up a true art form. If you know what I mean. Yeah. I think it can be. I think though that this is one of the nice things about stand up is that it can be so many different yeah, things. Yeah. And the kind of comedy I was drawn to as a child and it, it was you know these ridiculous things, Monty Python, The Goon Show, mm-hmm. very silly stuff. And uh, I always thought I would like to be that kind of act, and I'm not. I'm just mm-hmm. not that kind of act. And my uh, my downfall or my flaw is that. You know, I'm always fighting this kind of too much. I pack too much into a show, or I'll, I'll, yeah. it'll be so dense. And you know, my my brother, who really doesn't like stand up very much, yeah. will always say, "Cut it down, cut yeah. it down, make it easier, make it simpler, make it you know, stretch it out, leave more space in it." Yeah. And I have to fight that urge in myself. And you know, I see that in my reviews. I see that in the audience feedback of like, "Whoa, that was so much," or "That was so ambitious," or. Yeah. And whether whether people like that or not mm-hmm. is that is what I deliver. But I think I think that also says a lot about you as an acting performer to kind of uh, um, give uh, to really just pack it in as well because if it is meaning a lot for you, you kind of have to you do want to tell every silent story. You, that snapshot you mentioned, you want to fill it up with the right thing as well. You put we well, want to put everything in shot, but then maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, it's a matter of composition. Sometimes if you put less in, it can be more powerful. Yes. And and finding the silences in my show is always the challenge for me because yeah. silence is so important for comedy, giving people breaks and giving people rest. Yes. And, yeah. and I sort of cheat that sometimes by sticking in a silly song to give the audience a break. Or, yeah. Uh, just to... A lot of my comedy is a trick. Um the savage particularly is mm-hmm. is sandwiching serious moments between jokes yeah so that when you run it together it looks it's like a film the film yeah. is just a number of frames but they look like they're continuous so it looks like you're being funny about a subject but you're actually being funny around a subject oh wow that's... and so the illusion is that this is very funny i'm yeah. laughing a lot it's set in a palliative care ward so mm-hmm. that must be what's funny mm-hmm Oh wow, that's a that's a great way to, and that's a great analogy you have in the film as well. Because, yeah, like, I guess um, you do see that quite a lot as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's a great way to run it. Um, I just wanted to. Uh, so, when you when you're building that show, how mm. how do you go about it? When you start from, when you have you finished your run at Edinburgh uh, and you've got this new show, um, it, how do you start building that new show? Is it, so. I am thinking about, yeah, now at the moment, genuinely, yeah. applications for Adelaide Fringe are open. So that's yeah. normally where I run in a show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of a trial. Yes. It's yeah, my yeah. trial area. Um, so unlike in England, you'll book in a bunch of trials and do them yeah. separately. In yeah. Australia, I tend to do the Adelaide Fringe and then the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do a couple of days at Sydney and a couple of days at Perth. And then I'm ready for Edinburgh. That's yeah. kind of how it runs. Um, I don't know if I'll do next year. Okay. I, do, I have to think about that whether because it can be it can be 
just a habit that you get into because yeah. you have to apply during this time. Mm -hmm. It can feel like a just a hamster wheel. Yes. Um, I, d I don't know whether I want to take some time off and you know do some more serious writing or mm. or what. I think the the problem is I only ever write to deadlines, <laughs> and the the yeah. festivals provide a really convenient deadline. There are yeah. other people waiting for you, and they will be waiting there in that room on that date at that time, yeah. and you have to deliver something yes. that will entertain them for an hour. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, but but say for ethos, um, the Moosehead applications were due at about this time yes. for Melbourne, and the Moosehead is a grant for an unusual show. And I thought, yeah. what kind of a show would I want to do? And I thought, well, I've done the trilogy. I don't want to be um, typecast mm -hmm. as someone who just does family histories, yeah. uh, because I think there's that's a dead end really, and it can be a little bit. Uh, yeah. Something that's just sort of vomiting out something from inside you, or it could yeah. be using people who you love and are dear to you. And unless it was something really important, I wasn't sure that I wanted to say it. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I what what do I miss? And I started comedy with improv and sketch. Yeah. That's my first uh, encounter with comedy was with doing comedy was improv at Sydney University and sketch mm -hmm. comedy. I was very bad at improv. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to get better at it. So that's how I fell into comedy, started doing it while I was studying. And I missed, I missed having people to work with. I only yes. really started yeah, yeah, stand-up yeah. because I was in New York and I was depressed and I didn't have the energy to make friends. Oh my God, um, yeah. So you need to make friends if you want to do improv. You need to have a group of people yeah, if you want to do yeah. sketch. And so I thought, well, I'll just do stand-up. And then it becomes harder and harder as you grow older to organize rehearsals, to get yeah. people around you. It's very... I mean... I don't know whether it's that you become more inflexible or if there's something about the spare time at university where it's easier to find like-minded creative people mm -hmm. who you can spark off. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's as rare to find a really good comedic collaborator as it is to find a romantic partner. Yeah, really, it is. Yeah, it's yeah, as hard yeah. a thing to do that you fall in love with this person and the way they make you work, that, that you're... The way you produce things is, is, is more than the sum of your parts. Together you become something greater. It is genuinely mm -hmm. very romantic. I have Honestly. a side theory. I have a side theory that that's one of the reasons why there are fewer long-term creative male-female partnerships than there mm. are um, same-gender ones. Yeah. Because, <laughs> this is the theory anyway, I mean... Statistically, there are fewer people who are gay, mm -hmm. so you have more people who have, you know, heteronormative um, urges. Mm -hmm. And if you are, if you find someone who you have that genuine creative spark with, your options are sit in a room and write a sitcom, yeah. or, or bang, <laughs> and it is a lot easier to bang. <laughs> um, so to find that kind of real platonic yes, passion and that yeah. creative urge and that, that sense that you are really wonderful and that you like who you are with this person and you like what they make you do and you like how you make them. Yeah. That, that is a genuinely beautiful thing. It, yeah, and the way you described it as well is like, that, that is so wholesome as well. Like, uh, <laughs> the most wholesome banging I've heard. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's... Um, but I think you're right as well. I think uh, uh, I have a writing partner who... Um, we're working on some stuff at the moment and uh, we do a podcast, another podcast together. And just the dynamic, just like... Uh, it's, it's weird because I've, I've never, like... like I've had girlfriends in the past, but like I've never felt um, like as much about a certain person as I do about Dan, Dan my partner. But in a strictly platonic way, but like it's like we have such a deep and meaningful connection. If you know what I mean. And, and in this instance, yeah. although it is a controversial phrasing, you're lucky that you're not gay. Yeah. Because otherwise, you would be in love with this person, and you would be building a life together, and all of this energy that you feel towards them would be. Yeah being put into a romantic thing yes which is lovely and would be wonderful for the pair of you but now it's being channeled into this comedic outlet yes yeah and I, I think <laughs> I think you've just described me as a person that, that whole analogy is like I have a <laughs> creative uh, creative spark or romantic spark but uh, Wow, that's a, there was a, uh, that was a, that, you, you are my favourite person ever, Alice. <laughs> but, um, so, um, we've discussed a lot about uh, ethos as well, um, so um, 
after you finished that trilogy, uh, was it important for you just to start off a brand new project and uh, kind of work on a different show? Yes, it was important to draw a line under the trilogy for me, partly to make sure the trilogy stayed special, Yes. Um, not to just keep beating a dead horse, mm-hmm. and also just to stretch myself creatively, and this certainly has done that. I, I'm a big believer in... in failure (laughs) (laughs) yes and I'm a big believer in doing things that are too hard Mm -hmm. um because uh I think it's and this is probably the wrong thing to think or it's just a way of thinking about the world but I would rather cross my line and do something and fail at it Mm -hmm. and go you know 120 percent towards 150 Mm percent then stick in a safe 90% zone where I know I can do it and I know I can do it well and I know I can carry it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, it's a hard thing to do. It's uh, arguably not the best thing to do for your audience mm-hmm. because you're not giving them something um, predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then again, as you said earlier, like, I think you don't want to be timecasters that kind of like um, a certain type of comedian because like, as you mentioned earlier, you're you're on the bugle and you're writing for the bugle. Um, it's, it's so uh, it's nothing like you described for your other shows as well. Like it's not this kind of family history, and it's this. Uh, it's, it's where I first heard you, uh, to be honest, uh, and that's. But from that, I've started looking into your other stuff, and uh, the bugle writing is um, is fantastic, uh, as as is your other stuff as Thank well. Uh, but like, it's two different swords, if you know what I mean. And, yeah. uh, and I think uh, it's uh, both. T- to yeah, I, I think you have so many options as well because it, you, you're so capable of hitting every single note that you want to do as well. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's really important that you have those. Uh, you, you when you set yourself that challenge, you can smash it as well. You have that uh, capability to do that. I mean, this is a podcast, or is this just you flattering me? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I haven't been recording this. It's just, just it's uh, welcome to the sycophantic podcast. Uh, um. I mean, this is the thing, right? I love writing to deadlines. I love equally writing to a brief. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied rhetoric at university. I like... The, the, the idea is that you... A message is only as good as it is listenable to. That if you want to communicate something, it's mm-hmm. not just about what you say, it's about what the other person hears. Gotcha, yeah. And so it's important for that to be able to write in different ways and in different... Um, I wouldn't say different voices because I think it is all my voice. Mm-hmm. But if I came onto the bugle and uh, yeah. Andy Zaltzman said Trump section now, yeah. and I said my aunt was, <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah, 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 of course, it's yeah. not the game. So and yeah, but that's yeah, uh, and I think having those parameters really kind of focuses it as well. Cause, yeah. Uh, and especially to a deadline as well. So if you have parameters and, and a deadline, wow, you're gonna you're gonna get it. Uh, creative restrictions are incredible. Mm-hmm. Just telling yourself or having told you. I mean, I resent being told what to do, yeah. so maybe not being told so much. But going, okay, these are the things you can do and these are the things you can't do. For example, I never talk about my sexuality or relationships mm-hmm. in public or on stage. Gotcha. And that just means that I will never do that. And mm-hmm. that's off the table. That's not a, 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 a seam of awe that I can mine. Mm-hmm. And then I have to think, well, what else am I going to talk about? Or, you know, I make fun of free verse, even though there's some incredible free verse poetry out there as well. But I make fun of it in my show because, for that very point of, like, having a structure, telling, you know, even with a comedy show, it's it's 55 minutes long and you have to make people laugh. Those are two creative restrictions. Yes, yeah. So you can't do anything that you want. Yes, yeah. And in in this instance with Ethos I've got a, a second character that I'm writing for yes. so there, he has to be part of the show too so it can't just be about my arc it has to be about his journey as well yeah yeah. Uh, and and that's another creative restriction and it has to be done by this time when it has to be on stage mm-hmm. and it has to be you know there has to be a laugh every 30 seconds to a minute yeah so and um so how so how has it been writing for that other character? We mentioned it's a robot, right? Yes. So, <laughs> well, it's an it's an AI. Yeah. Uh, so I think people who come expecting an animatronic uh, I, element will yeah. be disappointed. The I, reason I call it a robot uh, is mainly publicity, <laughs> um, because a robot is a funner word to say. It's a funner thought to think. And if you write AI, people go, why is she doing a double act with Al? Yeah. 
it's genuinely it's just a font choice yeah. uh, situation. It's a it's a spelling and reading thing. It just it, people understand robot. I to be honest, I, I haven't seen the show yet because our, our show's clash. Uh, but. Uh, I, I, I was hoping that it would be uh, some kind of like robotic dog or something like that, and it flipped over <laughs> or something like that. I uh, did look into buying one of those uh, in Japan, but they cost an enormous amount. And then the other option would have been to build a body for Ethos, but I am... Um, yeah. <sighs> I uh, genuinely just didn't want to carry around <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, for I don't have any instruments in this show. For the trilogy, I have a small piano, I have a costume for Empire, I have my banjo, I have a backdrop for the Resistance. Yeah. It is a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just having this AI, which is a, it packs down into a small backpack, yeah. has made my life enormously easier. <laughs> Bless you, that's so, so sweet. Sorry, apologies to anyone who want it, wants it to be a Data-style um, Star Trek character, but it is not. I was, you know, um, you know, in Rocky Three, where they uh, Rocky's really famous, and he lives in a mansion, and there's that that, that big white uh, robot butler. Uh, I was expecting something like that. So, uh, alas. Uh, oh, I can show you what he looks like. Yes. Are you going to come see Ethos? Yeah. Well, I I've got a couple of days off soon, so I'd love. To, yeah, I, I've been I've been waiting for the day for my. Ca- I do a free fringe show, so I am waiting for the day for my show to be cancelled. Then I'm going to come over and see. It, so. <laughs> I mean. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been in that space, but I would not uh, recommend hoping that because you might do better than you expect. Oh, well, it, you so uh, he responds to voices. That's what he looks oh, like. Oh my god! Oh, hello. Oh, I feel deeply uncomfortable by this, but uh, so yeah, he speaks and he responds to voices, and uh, so that's very basic programming. Um, but that's what he looks like. He's proje- that's, he's on that's great. Uh, two yeah. large screens. So, how, um, have you really worked with like tech before with a stomach show? Or? Never worked with tech. Yeah. I'm terrible at maths. Had to learn some real programming skills yeah. that were kind of beyond me. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you set your, you you programmed it all as well. Yeah. So that, that, for me, that's mind blowing. When I say think. I programmed it all, I mean a lot of basic programming is just going on the internet and finding people who've done similar things before. Yeah. And then just tacking together what they have. But I still think that's quite innovative to go. You know what? I, I'm going to program it as well because like, I think most people, again, it's about that challenge thing. Going, oh, um, I I can't do this, therefore I have to get someone else to do it. Uh, uh, but with you, it's quite interesting. Uh, you're like, oh, I, I need this ethos body, so maybe I'll program it. I, I like that mindset. Well, I'm, I'm very ba- for, There's three factors in that. First, I'm very bad at asking for help. Yeah, yeah. Uh, secondly, I have wanted to do this thing, uh, you know, uh, for years. It's all in the te- in the media and everything of like women can't do tech. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, yeah, I should learn programming, and then just didn't and didn't and didn't. Genuinely, last yeah. ten years, I thought I'd like to learn at yeah. least the basics of that, so I know what people are talking about yeah, when they yeah. talk about Python or Ruby on Rails or mm-hmm. these programming language. What what is it? What is it? What actually is HTML? What is yeah. JPEG? What 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 is a GIF? Like what the, yeah, yeah. what is going on? I'm <laughs> using all these words and yeah. I'm using all this technology and I have absolutely no idea what the mechanics of it are. Yeah. And so for me, like if I want to go for a run, I don't say I'm going to go for a run. I say I'll meet a friend for a run because yeah. having that deadline, having that other person mm-hmm. that I need to deliver for yeah. is the only thing that will motivate me. It's a deep character flaw. Yeah, no, no, I 100% agree. But you well. have to leverage it to your advantage. It's like a social obligation then, isn't it? So, like, yeah. oh, I can't pull out because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, yeah, and then the other reason is I wanted to own it. I wanted to, I wanted to do the show and have it be, have some integrity to it. No, I am... Um, I hope the people that listen to this podcast are as deeply inspired as I am because it's very, very, uh, uh, it's very uh, great to see that you put everything into your show as well. Uh, Thank uh, you. Uh, so, um, we, sorry to go back to the trilogy. However, um, you, you, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you, uh, earlier this year you uh, performed the, the trilogy back to back on a single night. Yes. Right? Yeah. How was that experience for you? I mean, it was really interesting. The mistake I made, um, so I wanted to do it, and I wanted to do it like that. Yeah. I would have preferred to have two recording dates, 
yeah. uh, but we only had the one. Oh, so it was recording. It was the, record, uh, for gotcha. recording this for the for the podcast. I, for, I wasn't sure if it was a tour or just a one-off special, but yeah, so, so it was now I, now I've done it three times. I yeah. did it once for the recording, once in London, and once uh, here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might be all, unless the podcast goes bananas and yeah. people ask me to do it again, in which case I will. But um, it was really, I wanted to, to record it as the three um, because I wanted to see if it could be done. Mm-hmm. That three hours yeah, back yeah. to back stand up with the same audience essentially. Yeah. Um, and see if it worked and see if they would laugh all the way through. Actually, I was more. I was in, certainly doing it that first time in Melbourne. It's stupid to record the first time you try something, yeah, but yeah. Um, I was much more scattered about it than mm-hmm. the audience were. They were 100% on board the oh, whole that's way. Great. Yeah. It was lovely. Um, my producer, Bryce, at the ABC did this incredible thing, technologically speaking, which I don't think has been done for comedy before. Uh, it might have been done, but I know it's been done for action audio before, which is putting a binaural mic in the audience, which means if you yeah. listen to the trilogy on cans, headphones, yeah. not yeah. earbuds, it's in surround sound. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. you can you hear, hear the audience. Yeah, you can hear the audience, the man behind you laughing, the woman to the left laughing, the woman to the right who's making comments to her. Yeah. Friend. You, yeah. It's Im- immersive in that way. And I think that's particularly important for podcasts because obviously when you're. Uh, if you're choosing to listen to something, it, you're really um, immersed into the experience as well. You're like a silent partner of what's happening around you. Yes. And uh, you, that's why people have such a deep affinity to podcasts, because like, you uh, essentially become best friends with... Uh, yeah. oh, it's, it's a one-way street. And like with the Michael Palin thing, like it's a one-way uh, relationship. However, it's still a very important part. It's still a dialogue, if not. Yes, uh, and you listen when you're in the mood for it. So yes, you're never... Yeah. It's never it's only ever when you want to so it's like a, it's a perfect situation yeah this is one of the things about having done tea with Alice for so long now yes. is there's people who've been listening for many years or some people go back through the back catalogue and start from the beginning it's at about 254 episodes I was, I was now say, yeah. or 205 episodes now so uh, people know me yeah. and so I have I have the Patreon which is yes. very lovely and people can talk to me through that or I do. I I will Skype with my uh, uh, Patreon subscribers sometimes. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because you. Um, I remember a couple of months ago you were uh, uh, doing the Patreon thing and uh, you had some really interesting rewards and stuff like that. And for, just to elaborate for the listener, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's kind of like a. Um, I guess it's like a, a system where um, audience members can pay money to uh, to a comedian every month, and they will give certain benefits. And, yeah, uh, so it's based on the old patronage system of art, where you had like the Medici who yeah. would sponsor, you know, famous artists, yeah. and they would support them, and in order to allow them to create the art that they wanted. Yes. So rather than commissioning a single piece, which is like your Kickstarter, you're yeah. saying, "I like what you do." I don't want to tell you what to do. I want to see what you come up with yourself. Yeah. And in order to allow that, I will give you a dollar a month or yeah. whatever. So for me, uh, there's a... And Graham Elwood did this. This is his idea that I've taken from his Patreon, where if people want to have a chat with me, mm-hmm. they subscribe at the $25 level. And mm-hmm. in my head, that's like they bought a ticket to a show. Yeah. yeah. And they want to have a chat afterwards, but it's better because I'm not completely wrung out yeah. from doing the show. Yeah. yeah. And they can talk about, you know, questions or that, they, that came up in the podcast, things that they want to tell me about themselves or things that they want to ask. Some of them have creative projects that they want advice yeah. on. Oh, wow, so it's really as, as flexible as that. It's as, well. as flexible as that. I mean, no one so far has been creepy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I maintain the right to withdraw that thing, yeah. that option, um, if, there's, if it starts to get creepy or if somebody comes on, you know, opens up the Skype chat and it is creepy, yeah. I, I will, you know, and I say this in the terms and conditions, I will shut the window and offer you some other reward or give you a refund. Well, I really am doing it as the equivalent of you've come to see a show, um, you've paid to see that show, and uh, you want to have a chat. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, people. I have people all over the world. I have a, a sheet metal worker in Missouri wow. who listens to my podcast. He's never going to be... Able, I'm not going to be in America anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. And, and if he wants to have a chat with me... 
if he were in Australia, he could come see my show and come up afterwards and say, hey, I listened to your podcast, I love it, I wanted to know about this, I wanted to know about that. Yeah. Can I tell you this thing that happened? I was listening when I was walking here. I mean, that's nice. I, I want people to... Yeah. Otherwise, it feels like shouting into the void. I do yes, want to yeah. talk to people. And it's nice to go and get that feedback because, like, when you... Again, when you put this podcast and out into the world, you kind of assume that in my head, like it's like, oh, no one listens to it, but people do download and really take it on board as well. And like, I found, I find it way to discuss my own podcast with people because, like, especially with the, my other podcast, like this, but, uh, I, I'm very honest on that, and I talk about like my, my uh, uh, life experiences, and people, <laughs> people like kind of like. Uh, call back to me I'm like wait what did I say that did I say that out loud yeah I mean I mean that's the thing though this is uh, the thing that I feel weird about is asking for money in exchange Mm. for that Um, but you know the podcast is free it's a it's a voluntary thing 100% so people are giving money because they want to support what I do and then that conversational element even though it feels I think it could feel potentially sleazy, like paying for an audience with the queen, like that kind of weird arrogance about it. But the reality is I can't be open access. Like I just, there are, I don't have a, like I don't have a vast, I'm not vastly famous, but there are, you know, many thousands of people who listen to my podcast. Yeah. And if any of them could Skype me at any time, I would not have time. So it is just, you know, capitalism or whatever it yeah. is of just saying but but because it's not more than a ticket cost 25 Australian yeah. dollars is yeah. about 12 pounds that's about as much as you'd pay for yeah. a show yeah exactly and so that's kind of the barrier to entry and I think that's reasonable yeah well, and, sorry I sound no, really no, defensive no no no, no. <laughs> and uh, I was actually going to support that as well by saying that um, again this kind of listen to the, the creepy comment I think if you're creating a community of people that like your work and and they voluntarily want to do more, I think it's a really sweet gift to give your time to kind of like uh, not, not say you are the queen, but like uh, to give your time to the people who actually listen to it. That's not that doesn't happen with many podcasts, and I think you cultivate the audience that uh, is attracted to that as well. You, you, you like the people. I think the reason why there's not you've had no creepy encounters yet. Touch wood. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it's because you're creating the people that genuinely like you for who you are and uh, what, what like your content as which well which is I genuinely for the pod I have not had anyone awful and mm. this is an astonishing thing being a woman on the internet yeah, yeah. from the podcast I've had sort of vaguely creepy interactions from stand up and so yeah. on and so forth and the television appearances and things like that but from the podcast everyone who has engaged with it has been so lovely I get these very long emails of people who are telling me about their lives and it is that thing of you've given me some part of your life and I want to answer and show you what I'm doing and how you've affected me and I had a lady and this is from stand-up but it sort of counts because it was savage um, who saw she came to the trilogy uh, on Monday and she said I saw savage in 2015 when you brought it here and it changed my life Mm-hmm. I saw that show and I quit my job and I uh, went into university in something that I'm interested in and I got married two days ago and I live here now. Oh my god. And I was just like, thank you. Yeah. Like that is, yeah. Yeah. thank you, that's such a wonderful thing, that's an incredible thing. And for, you know, I'm sure for every one of those stories there's a hundred people who were like, I saw this terrible show, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Call, that, call that art, but they're not the ones who will Skype me. Yeah, and... Those are the moments you're looking for as well. Those are the things that matter and uh, and can are profound, you know. Uh, however, people saying uh, you're shit or you know uh, whatever, I think that they're a dime a dozen. Uh, not for you personally. I, I just mean like uh, there's so much negativity. So when there is a bright light of positivity, that that's the thing that is important. You know? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things about the internet now. It's so frictionless that a moment of rage or annoyance can be articulated in a way that will ruin somebody's day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be annoyed when you want, you think of a funny phrase. Yeah, and you throw it out there, and this person might get it in a vulnerable moment, and it can ruin their day. So having that level of friction. Mm-hmm. You have to email me if you want to say something awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a barrier to entry. Someone has to write that. Yeah, and re- really, like, they have to go on the website and find the content. Like, they have really to find have to... my email. And yeah. it's not hard to find my email, but they can find it and they can seek me out. And if somebody genuinely, and this, I'm, I'm hoping that I stand by this principle, 
if somebody wants to subscribe at a $25 level and have a Skype conversation where they spend 25 minutes looking me in the eye and telling me that they do not like my work, I would like to think that I'm happy with that. Well, yeah, because well, I think at that point, if, if they really had the like, vehement kind of attitude towards you, to, to go to that length to chat to you about it, then... I, I can't, well, first, I don't think it's you're the issue there. But, um, <laughs> I, 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 but I think that you know, if he's willing to pay twenty five pounds to tell you uh, X, Y, and Z, I, you know, what go all go for it. You know, if it, you know, if, if that makes you feel better. Well, uh, certainly with the Tea with Alice podcast, it's yeah. all about things that I'm not sure about. It's yeah. about um, asking questions and talking about difficult things and avoiding this kind of current media trend for having. This is why I think says man A, this yeah. is what I think, says man B, and then they both say what they think, and then they leave, and no one ever goes, like, the moments that I want in the podcast is me or my guest saying, I hadn't thought about it that way, or I'm not sure, this is what I feel. Yeah. And certainly I've had emails from people who say, the reason, you know, I say, I don't get why, we ha- why this trend mm. is happening, or I don't get this particular movement and I'll get an email from someone saying, I'm part of this movement and this means a lot and this is the reason why it means a lot. Like, yeah. That so, is great yeah, because yeah. that's what the podcast is for. And you're not being flippant when you're saying, I don't get it. It's more like, no, I, I'm, I honestly don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. And, and to have that kind of fan base where people go, oh, actually, let, let me tell you why. And it's uh, reflective and articulate. And uh, I think that's also um, symbiotic of your stand-up as well. So I think that it's, yeah, I think your... I think the podcast is really uh, your podcast is really nice because it does kind of uh, it mirrors that kind of stand-up attitude as well. Like you're creating this kind of uh, um, like a bespoke audience, you know what I mean? Like uh, who safe space for dangerous ideas. Yeah, I like that. I'm gonna get that tattooed on me. That's quality. Um, so when you start out, oh, I had a lady do a tattoo of one of my lines. Really? Yes, and a, a girl proposed to her partner with. Why one of my lines, the same line actually for both, which is my motto, which is no one's gonna die, we're all gonna die. That's that's great. I like it. So it's, it's it's quite existential. It's like it nothing matters. So but you might as well have fun anyway. Yeah. Well, it's sort of more than that. Of like, if you're worried about the thing you're doing. I mean, yeah. I'm not a doctor, so this is not a good motto for doctors. To <laughs> If I mess up, people might hate me. If I mess up, I might, you know, if, if, and inevitably these days, if you get famous enough, you'll be subject to this kind of terrible hatred. Mm-hmm. That's the worst that can happen, really. Mm-hmm. No one's going to die. Yeah, yeah. If I say something the wrong way, no one's going to die. If I espouse the wrong idea or, or put something out into the world that I'm not happy with, no one's going to die. But everyone is going to die, so just get on with it yeah just do the thing don't be afraid like it's just basically a don't be afraid yeah. thing to why, why are you so worried what's what's stopping you no one's gonna die but also you're gonna die yeah we're all gonna die just do it just do it I, I wish I'm, I'm gonna clip that recording of you saying that and just I'm gonna listen to it every time I go to sleep you know just, <laughs> just as a kind of mantra sleep yeah. learning yeah sleep um, well, uh, we should probably wrap up soon, uh, but this has been one of my uh, all-time favourite podcasts, oh, Alice. thank you so much for having oh, me. No, I really honestly. appreciate it. Thank uh, you. I, I have to do a couple more questions. And yep, some bits absolutely. And bo- to us, I, I, I've been so engrossed into chatting to you as a person, I didn't get to do the generic podcast questions. Oh, but I, uh, it. I, well, I'll, I'll ask you, um, I've got a couple of other stuff I wanted to ask you. Uh, I'll try and be brief. No, no, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Let's make it a five-hour podcast. So. Uh, no, um... You um you work uh, quite regularly between Australia and Britain quite a lot. Uh, are you are you whereabouts are you based at the moment? I uh, mean, I'm based out of a suitcase. You see, that's right. That I, I for me personally, as I mentioned, going to, I go up and down the country quite a lot. I kind of li- I technically live between North Yorkshire and Kent, and kind of go up and down quite a lot. And I thought I was quite extreme, but I thought you you're I think you're the topper of me. I think you beat me, but because uh, you it, yeah. It generally works. I did have to go back for four days to mm-hmm. Australia and that was probably the worst decision I've ever made but it was a corporate gig and I wanted to finish off the podcast and there were a few TV things that I had to do so it was worth it in the end Yeah. but I don't think I will do that again. So uh, how, how regularly do you uh, travel from uh, Australia to Britain? How, what's the approximate? I would probably go 
back and forth. I'd probably spend six months in each. Okay, so is that like the best of both worlds then? So cause do you have like a market for both or uh, are the... Uh, are you always getting work in one place and... It, I mean the festivals it? are in Australia. Um, there's more work here mm-hmm. in stand-up. Yeah. Um, my twin brother lives here with his wife uh-huh. and uh, they're about to have a child. So oh, lovely. There is a lot here for me. Um, yeah. But I have a visa and it will run out on the 19th of November and yeah. I will try and renew it and if I don't renew it I can't come back. So okay, yeah. I have to have some ongoing career in Australia because at any time that could happen. But it does seem for in, in both places like you're doing exceptionally well, uh, especially with ABC and uh, working with uh, uh, all these t- television people and even like... I, I, like uh, what, uh, even just like doing stuff like the, the bugle, just really kind of uh, it's it's great to see you out there as well because like it's it's good to see that you're work, you're accessible in both areas. If you know what I mean, it's not you're not just a one town pony. Yeah, one, one, one trick, town pony. One, one I'm trick the town one horse town. Yes, oh. I'm a one man dog. <laughs> you're like my like real life editor. You know, like whenever I say stuff, you just, like, just clean it up. Uh, well, yeah. I'm glad you enjoy that. I know that that's a habit of mine, and it's not necessarily always a good habit no, like, oh maybe what you mean is <laughs> no no I, I, I in fact if, if you ever see me do stand up I would uh, like if I ever say something incorrect I'd like you to pause the gig get on stage rectify the situation and we'll carry on uh, oh we can have a chat I'll have a look at your show <laughs> if you like yeah I um, we, we don't have a ton of time left however I, I'm going to ask you some quick fire uh, podcast questions yes uh, okay um, describe your act in three words beginning middle end perfect that was the fastest anyone's ever done that before. <laughs> um, what's what a snide comment. <laughs> no, no, I didn't even mean it like that. Yeah. Uh, what's the worst gig you've ever done? Uh, it was in a butcher shop in uh, oh Sydney. God. It was a, I, I was part of a Kickstarter for a, a satirical news podcast called Irrational Fear that was trying to get a television season up. Someone had donated a large amount of money, and this was one of the rewards. Mm-hmm. And it was a woman buying it for her husband's 75th birthday. And it was mm-hmm. in one of these fancy butcher shops where they have like sausages on thrones and marble and very uh-huh. you know fancy there. And they were having 16 people having steak dinner. We were a surprise. And four out of five of us were vegetarians, and there were meat carcasses rotating on a conveyor belt in the periphery of your vision to the right of you, and in front of you were these people who did not want comedy, and the lady who had booked us had used to been a Miss Australia, so she was heckling, oh and God. it was horrendous, and we weren't even getting paid. Oh my God. That is the worst gig I've ever done. You know, it, it already sounded quite bad in just butcher shop, but the level it got layered very fast. The only good thing about it was knowing for a fact that this was now my my milestone for how bad things could be, and that nothing else would yes. be as bad. It's like when you have depression. It's like, oh no, my day can't get as bad as that one day. You know, yep. it's, it's, it's we've got we've reached the trough. If now we've hit rock bottom <laughs> and we've got past it. Um, what's the strangest heckle you've heard? What's the strangest heckle? I did a gig in rural uh, Western Australia in a town called Bunbury, and I did a joke um, that I used to do about young male comedians saying they're terrible with women uh-huh. and having heard it too many times, and you're not terrible with women, you're terrible to women. <laughs> I don't have that problem. My problem is with conflict, which means I can't have difficult conversations, which means I have 14 boyfriends now. Very silly joke. And this yeah. guy in the audience shouted out, you're like bread, everyone touches it, no one wants it. Hmm. And I got a joke out of that too, so that was yeah. all right. Well, odd, he's obviously prepared. That. He's, he's odd attitude towards bread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot within that, if you know what I mean. Um, what buns are you feeling, yeah. mate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an interest. That, that's a good one, I like that. Okay, um... Three men and a baby scenario. If you had to raise a child with two other comedians, who would you pick? And on top of that, who who would be the funniest? Who would be the best actual parent? And who would earn the most money? Okay, so three other comedians who to raise a child with. I would go with uh, Laura Davis, who is my best friend yes. um, and an excellent person. And then I would probably go with... Someone super wealthy. 
just to bankroll the yeah. child's education and stuff. But someone nice, I don't know. Uh, does it matter if they're married to somebody else? No, no, it's almost it's just any any three comedians. Yeah, any 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 three comedians. Probably someone like Dara O'Brien, like a, ma- yeah, yeah. a male figure, someone who was nice and open, and he would like teach the kid about science. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that kind of thing. I think probably. Good answer. Um, uh, on, also on the podcast, um, we do a, a life uh, signature because everyone has a very weird signature uh, in this podcast, uh, and we uh, that people actually tune in to listen to this. So is this all like a deep? Con fraud situation. Like if you, you want to write down sign. your mum's maiden name and your uh, social security <laughs> number, uh, if you just uh, make it loud and proud for the, the con. Perfect. I like that. It's a bit like a star. Uh, quality. I'll put your name in afterwards as well. Uh, so, uh, we'll, this, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, all of my stuff online is at alicefraser.com. The trilogy is available on all of your podcasting things. It's the Alice Fraser trilogy, or you can find it at the ABC website. The Resistance, which is the only one of those three that I filmed, is on Amazon Prime, or you can also buy it at my website, along with the merch that says, no one's going to die, we're all going to die, and um, branded tea and various other ridiculous pieces yeah. of merch that are uh, there. And I'm on Twitter at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Uh, and, uh, yeah, do, do check out all that things and uh, give money to the Patreon as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> so many questions I, I didn't ask you, but we'll, uh, we'll finish up here. But has comedy made your life better or worse? Both. Elaborate. Oh, now we're elaborating. Um, I uh, used to be a lawyer. Yes, that was one of the questions. Well. And it made me sad every day. So comedy, uh, I'm, I'm not a big believer in happiness mm-hmm. as, a, as a goal. Comedy is engaging and interesting and constantly provides small, soluble problems. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my definition of satisfaction in life, yeah. is, is having interesting things that I can genuinely engage with and that I can provide an interesting answer to. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. That's a, it's a great way to finish the podcast as well. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, really. That was Alice Fraser. Thank you so much to Alice for coming on to the podcast, giving up your time, and giving such an amazing array of answers. Like... Uh, Alice is a deeply fascinating person and again uh, if you haven't done so already do check out the trilogy uh, her series there also check out her podcast Tea with Alice uh, which as you mentioned has a really cool uh, fan base and lots of really cool perks if you want to get into that and yeah do see Alice live as well she does loads of awesome her uh, she does loads of really cool shows, like we talked about Ethos, uh, but also beyond that, we um, she, she, I believe she got a new show out called uh, Mythos as well. So do check that out; it'll be really, really handy to uh, uh, to, to go and support that as well. Uh, she's she's a deeply fascinating act, and yeah, I think oh my god, I think uh, as as a professional comedian, I kind of have a crush on her work. It's really cool. Yeah, so uh, uh, let's talk about. Uh, this podcast and why we've rebranded it because I think it's slightly important to get into that. Um, so since 2016, we have been going under the Drunk Comedian podcast, the idea that we have, um, oh, I'd go to a bar, I'd drink some beers with comedians and chat about that. And as an idea, I really love that. And that's the kind of thing I wanted to do. Uh, as you guys know, that do, that's quite hard to pull off because you know to go into a bar when there's loads of audio noise and everywhere and comedians are quite hard to book in for that as well I struggle trying to get an authentic thing and I think really at the heart of this is authenticity because again the, the idea of me being the drunken comedian um, or the guest being the drunken comedian I don't think that, that was ever true you know I, I felt very that I was cheating that idea a lot and I, over the last couple of years, I, I've kind of, it's not quite what I want to do, and I don't feel that I've been delivering the Drunken Comedian podcast, and I feel that it's it's not who I am, nor who, nor did I grow into that, and I feel that this podcast has evolved into different ways, and I think actually this episode is really kind of, 
indicative of that as well. Uh, these are the kind of interviews I want to do. Like, it, it's not supposed to be a boisterous laddie kind of, hey, yeah, drinks. Though, in all fairness to me, I don't think I ever wanted to do that. I think I just wanted to have a kind of chilled out drinking podcast kind of thing. But again, that's I, I that's so un Matt Horse, you know. And I, so I wanted to offer something which is a bit more me and where I want to go in the future. And essentially, I wanted to keep it simple. And the simplicity is that Matt Hoss talks to people he likes. And it's mostly going to be comedians, but I really want to chat to people like like musicians as well, and uh, maybe authors, and just people who would give me their time, who I admire the work of, really. And yeah, and it 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 gives scope for more than just uh just kind of that kind of mentality. I wanted to open up to be a podcast with a lot of heart, you know, and I think that's what it, the podcast has been for a while, and. I don't want to lie any more about that as well. I want to be a bit more truthful to you guys because, um, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to get very drunk and do a podcast in a satisfactory way anyway. And I, deep, I feel deeply uncomfortable by doing that. So I'm going to just do a bit more chilled out stuff. And, yeah, it's just just me interviewing people I like. So that's that's all there is to it, really. So uh, it'll still follow... Fellow- It'll still follow the same format as the Drunken Comedian Podcast, and you can still find us online at Drunken Comedian Podcast, uh, at Drunk Pod. Uh, we're not going to change the domain name, but this is going to be referred to now as uh, Matt Hoss Talks to People He Likes. And all the past episodes are there, and just to double down on that, like just to clarify that I'm not... Um, I am so proud of the content I put out, you know, uh, all the past interviews and uh, past uh, guests I've had really, I'm still very proud of, but all I'm saying from now on is that I, you know, I don't have to put that restriction in place, I can do whatever I want, and yeah, there might be a couple over a pint, uh, but that's not, it's not necessary anymore, it's just more about me engaging with someone that I I like, Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, so that's the, the kind of the uh, the cut of the jib, really, and I hope that you um, understand the, that transition as well. But yeah, so uh, yes, I think it's onwards and upwards, and uh, we are currently booking in some new guests as well, and we also have some really cool people lined up uh, who I'm very excited about. So why don't you, uh, if you also want to get in touch, feel free to uh, message me personally at Matthouse Comedy on both uh, email at so not email uh, at. Um, Twitter and Facebook, you can find me there, and you can also go on my website, matthousecomedy.com, and see all the uh, places I'm doing previews. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and everyone in between, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, uh, and I hope you enjoyed Alice Fraser, thank you again to Alice, and uh, we'll see you very soon. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.